As we prepare for Matthew to come and share the good news of God's truth with us tonight, on Sunday nights we have been asking some of our members here at Colonial Heights who are part of our mission sending pipeline to come and read God's word for us and pray. And uh, tonight Diana Way is going to do that for us. Diana uh, has become a very active member here at Colonial Heights and an active part of our college ministry. And uh, she's currently a senior at Bellhaven. And uh, this past summer actually spent... Uh, a midterm assignment all summer long serving in the 1040 window with the IMB amongst some unreached people and is praying through what a mission assignment looks like for her post-graduation. So uh, I want to remind you, see Diana's face, and continue to pray for her as she seeks God's will in where he would have her to go. So Diana, read and pray for us tonight. Thank you. Uh, so this is from Genesis 49, 8 through 10. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. And as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter has not departed from Judah, nor the scepter, or nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Please pray with me. Hey God, we just thank you today that we are even able to gather in a room like this to be able to openly praise and worship you and to study your word. I ask that tonight you would be with us as we listen to your word taught and proclaimed to us. Open our hearts and our minds to respond to you, God not only now, but also as we go out from this place into our homes, into our neighborhoods throughout the rest of the week. God, would you use us as your vessels? Would you open us up to respond to the words you have for us today and to act on anything that uh, you put on our hearts to respond to? Um, would you bless this time, open our ears to hear what you have for us? In your sins, we pray, amen. Well, good evening. Uh, thank you so much for reading the scripture and leading us in prayer. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 49. We'll be reading uh, some, some different verses from this chapter. We won't be reading all of it. We will be uh, kind of talking through a good portion of it, including the passage that Diana just read for us. So we, as was mentioned earlier, we are finishing up this series tonight called The Story of Jacob. And uh, when we last left Jacob, we were actually in Genesis chapter 35, and now one week later, we're picking up in Genesis chapter 49, so we are skipping ahead in the story, and, and the main reason for that is because if you're familiar with the way that the book of Genesis is structured, around chapter 11, God chooses this man named Abram, gives him a new name, Abraham, and then we have, and so from that point forward to the end of the book, the book sort of shifts focus from one person to the next. And so it begins with Abraham, and we get a few chapters dealing with Abraham. And then uh, it shifts to his son, Isaac, and we get a couple of chapters with him. Then it shifts to Jacob, and we've been focusing on those chapters that uh, are dealing mostly with Jacob. But around chapter 37, the focus shifts again to one of Jacob's sons. It's a guy named Joseph. And uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about him tonight, 
But uh, so there's a big part of Genesis. Actually, Joseph, the one of Jacob's sons, gets more screen time, more time like kind of in the spotlight as the main character of the narrative of Genesis than any of the other guys, even more so than Abraham. And so there's a lot of chapters that are devoted to Joseph, but then towards the end of the book, our friend Jacob comes back into the story and it's very much at the end of his life. And so uh, we're actually gonna almost kind of come full circle with Jacob this evening. In uh, week one, we actually talked about his birth. Like we actually talked before he was born, this story of he and his uh, older brother Esau, where he, before they were born, were even wrestling in the womb, then they were, were born, and then even into adulthood, they were still had conflict with one another. And so, but, so we talked about his birth in week one. Now in week five, we will talk about his death. And then in addition to that, we will see that in week one, we remember that part of that conflict was Jacob stealing a blessing, right? He, was, he stole a blessing from his father and was stealing it from his brother Esau as well. But then tonight, as he is nearing the end of his life, even his eyesight diminishing, much like his father Isaac was before him, he is going not to steal blessings, but he's going to be bestowing blessings out onto his sons. And so chapter 49, it actually uh, begins at the, it begins, it's just a list of those sons and it's gonna go through and it's gonna give a, a, um, a blessing to each one of those. We're not gonna go through all of them. We don't have time to, to go through line by line everything that he says to every one of his 12 sons but uh, we are going to hit on some of those. We're just gonna hit, hit those highlights and we're gonna see what, that, what this scripture has to say to us this evening. So the title of the message is The Descendants and the Deceased. The descendants are the 12 sons and we're gonna see what Jacob, what type of blessing he is bestowing on those sons. And let's remember some blessings are better than others, but everyone is going to get something. And then there is the deceased. At the end of our time tonight, we will read a verse that says that, and then Jacob breathed his last. And we will see what we can learn from Jacob even in his dying moments. So I wanna read uh, verses uh, with chapter 49, verses one and two, and then from that point on, we'll skip around a little bit, maybe even go out of order at one point. But then it says, then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. And so there's a couple of things I wanna point out uh, from those couple of verses. So first, uh, this idea of telling you things that are going to happen to you in the days to come. He's bestowing a blessing onto them. And if you remember back to week one, there's a difference between a birthright and a blessing. And so the birthright is the first thing that Jacob stole from Esau in exchange for the bowl of soup. And that was the, the physical inheritance. So that was property, that was possessions, that was, was money that they might have had that was gonna be divided up amongst the, the sons. And so that is not what we're reading about here. What, we're, what we are reading about is the blessing. And so uh, the, the blessing is more of a spiritual inheritance. And so, uh, and the blessing that he bestows upon them is not just for them in that moment. 
It also is almost like a spiritual prophecy. It's going to predict things that are gonna happen to them in the future. And, and so we'll, we'll look at a few of these. Um, so what we wanna do first is let's look at the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Jacob. So these are the 12 sons. And while we are not gonna have the time to go through each of those blessings, I do wanna give us a refresher course on, on his sons. And so I think it was in week two when we actually got to this point where we put all their names up on the screen. And so very quickly, I would like to do that again. And so if we remember, there were four women, right? And so the four women across the top, he has uh, two wives. So there was Leah and there was Rachel. And Rachel was the one that he actually loved. That was who he wanted to marry. But he gets tricked into marrying Leah first. And so he has these two wives. And then Zilpah and Bilhah are the two female servants for each one of those, right? And so, so just again as a reminder, we know that he loved Rachel but was mistreating Leah. And for that reason, God had favor on Leah. And she's actually able to have children fairly easily while Rachel is not. And so from the beginning, Leah almost like very quickly has four sons. So that is Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. So I wanna pause right here. We have these four names on the screen. These are his first four sons. So obviously they're the first, they're the four oldest, right? We're gonna come back to these four in just a moment. I just wanted to go ahead and point them out to you. I'm gonna prepare you for something we're gonna say about these four a little bit later, okay? So she has the four sons, and then Rachel is not able to have sons, and so she offers her female servant to her husband as a way to, to have children. And so Bilhah has two sons, Dan and Naphtali. And then, so Leah does the same thing, and so she offers Zilpah, and Zilpah has two sons, Gad and Asher. And then Leah just goes ahead and has two more sons of her own after that, and so she then has Issachar and Zebulun. And then finally, Rachel is able to have children, to, have, to, to bear sons, and so she has Joseph. So that's the, the firstborn of his beloved wife, Rachel. And then much later, years later in the story, she actually dies while she's giving birth to the final son, which is Benjamin, the youngest of the 12 sons of Israel. So these are the 12 sons. Like I said, we do not have time to go through everyone's blessing, but everyone's blessing is important. And all these blessings actually... Uh, tip us towards some things that are gonna happen to different people in the, the Old Testament as this story continues to move forward. Uh, let me give you, give you one example of what I'm talking about. Like I said, we can't talk about everybody, but I do want you to look real quickly at, at verse 27. Verse 27. So this is Benjamin. He gets, one, he gets one verse. His blessing is one verse long. And it says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening dividing the spoil. All right, so Benjamin is the youngest of the 12 sons, and he is, throughout the narrative, if you read the story, the pieces that he's in, he doesn't seem very much at all like a ravenous wolf. He's the youngest, and there's even times where he is like being treated as if he needs to be protected by the other ones. So why is is Jacob saying, he's giving him a blessing to say that he is a ravenous wolf. Well, what we find out later is that there's actually two pretty prominent people 
in the, in the story of the Bible that come from the tribe of Benjamin. One of, they're both named Saul, by the way. One of them is, in the Old Testament, Saul, the very first king of Israel. And if we think about him, does the term ravenous wolf describe him? Absolutely. And then the other one is in the book of Acts. We've been talking about the book of Acts on Wednesday nights with a group, one of our growth groups that I've been leading. And so there was this guy named Saul. You know him better as the apostle Paul. But prior to becoming a believer, he was a persecutor of Christians. And so he too was a ravenous wolf. And so uh, these blessings, they may not mean much to the person in the moments, but they actually have far-reaching consequences, okay? So these are spiritual blessings that predict the future of what's to come for these people. And so what I want us to do is look at a few of them, and we're gonna actually just highlight five sons, five sons. And the first one, we're gonna look at one who was different. One was different. Out of these 12 sons, there is one who is set apart. He was different from everybody else. And we've already identified him as he's the one that, that Jacob thinks is the most special. So if you remember, again, back to week one, there was this conflict between Jacob and Esau. But part of that conflict, it was just exacerbated by the fact that their parents showed a lot of favoritism towards the one that they preferred. And so you would think Jacob as a child who experienced the conflict that could come about as a result of your parents showing favoritism, maybe he would have learned his lesson, right? I'm just gonna love everybody equally. Is that what he does? No, there is one that he displays a great deal of favoritism to. We can put the names back up. We see that Joseph was very different. He was beloved by his father, Jacob. He was the firstborn son to his beloved wife, Rachel. And so he is the one who he really blatantly shows favoritism toward. He loves him the most. He's the one who receives the coat of many colors and it's obvious to everybody else that that's dad's favorite. Well, it was bad enough in Jacob's life when there were two sons and there was conflict between these two sons because of the favoritism from their parents well, now Joseph has to deal with 11 other brothers who are really unhappy about the way um, dad's treating him. And he doesn't make it any better for himself, right? He's telling them about the dreams that he's having about how they're gonna bow down to him. And so the 11 other guys gang up on him. And we don't have time to get into the entire story of Joseph, but we know that there are lots of ups and downs. But he is different because of the, he is his dad's favorite, but more importantly than that, he is favored by God. In the story of Joseph, you will see this refrain over and over again that says, and the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And so even when he is imprisoned or even when he's in slavery, all these, or he's been lied about and is in trouble because of that, all these different things are happening in his life, but the Lord was still with him. And no matter what, God, always has a way of bringing him back into a position of prominence and authority. And so by the time we get to these verses in chapter 49, Joseph is actually ruling over all of Egypt, like the greatest nation that existed at this point, the strongest one at this point, and the only person who has any authority over him at all is the Pharaoh himself. 
So Joseph has actually come out pretty well after all of this. And so uh, we'll, we'll talk some more about that as we continue on. So there was one who was different. Let's look at what the blessing that he receives is. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 26. We'll put that on the screen. It says, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. So Jacob is saying, I, I received a good blessing from my parents, but now the blessing that you are receiving is gonna be greater than that, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. Remember, he was different. He was set apart from all the rest. He was set apart by his father who, who liked him the best, but more than that, he was set apart by the Lord because the Lord was with him no matter what happened to him. The presence of God was there in his life and he, he followed him in obedience. And so there were good things that happened in the life of Joseph. And uh, going back to the conversation about birthright, it's actually Joseph who receives the birthright from him. He gets the double portion of the inheritance He's not the oldest son, but he is the oldest from Rachel. And so he receives that, that birthright. And uh, there's actually a kind of a neat story that happens in Genesis 48. If you, want, you don't have to turn there, but you can look at that later. Genesis 48, he, Joseph has two sons. And so that double portion, that birthright is divided up between those two sons. And so uh, Jacob is actually gonna bestow the birthright onto Joseph's two sons, in a sense, adopting them as his own sons. And so he's, there's, Ephraim and Manasseh. And so one, obviously one is older than the other, and so he's, the right-hand blessing is supposed to go to the older son. The left-hand blessing is supposed to go to the younger son. And so Jacob, who was a younger son who received the older son's birthright, he switches up his hands. And there's even a point where Joseph tries to stop him, and Jacob's like, this is the way we do it in this family, son. The younger kid is getting the good, bless, good birthright. All right, but so... Joseph was set apart. He received the, the birthright, the double portion, all right? So one was different. But the next, there were three that were disqualified. Three were disqualified. So, so Joseph got the birthright, but everybody's gonna get a, a blessing. But remember, there are some blessings that are better than others, and uh, even there, you call them a blessing, but if you read them, some of these sound much more like a curse. And let's also remember that this family possesses a special birthright that is much more meaningful than any other birthright. It was a blessing that God himself bestowed upon Abraham. Then Abraham was able to pass it down to Isaac. Isaac wanted to give it to Esau, but actually bestows it upon Jacob. And now Jacob is in possession of this special birthright. He's actually, we talked about this last week, God himself like recommitted that covenant, that blessing back to Jacob as he gave him the name Israel. And now he has received this directly from God. He's got this special blessing and so we need to determine which of these 12 sons is going to receive this blessing. And there were three who were disqualified from getting it. So if we put the, I think we got the names back up on the screen. The first one to be disqualified is Reuben. Reuben was disqualified. Well, what did he do that was so bad? Again, there's gonna be a lot of points where I'm gonna refer you back to a previous chapter to talk about a story we have not covered in this series. And so again, uh, if you wanna put in your notes to look at Genesis 35, but there is a story of Reuben 
actually having an affair with Bilhah. And, like, and we've talked a lot about the dysfunctionality in this family. I don't even know how to begin to describe the relationship between Reuben and Bilhah. Like, is that, it's not even really stepmom, right? Like, you, I don't even know that Rachel could really be stepmom. It's just, it's just so weird, so messed up. We can't even really get into all of that. All we know is that there is the type of relationship that should not be intimate or should not have any kind of, uh, there should not be any sexual relationship involved in it. But Reuben does. And so because of that, because of that great immorality that he, uh, that he commits, the sinful thing that he does, here is what his father Jacob has to say to him. Genesis 49, verses three and four. He says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the first fruits of my strength. And because he's the firstborn, he's supposed to be preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. But in, instead, so he's supposed to be preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power as the firstborn. That's supposed to describe him. But as we keep reading, what we see instead is he says, unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up into your father's bed and you defiled it. So Reuben, because of his sinful actions, has disqualified himself from being able to receive this special blessing. All right, moving on. The next two guys on this list also are disqualified, Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi. There is another story that involves them. And someone even mentioned to me last week, hey, I know this, that you've been skipping over Genesis 34. And again, uh, we don't have time to talk about all of this. And in fact, um, this is one that parents, before your kids go back and study this themselves, you might want to check it out yourselves and make sure that this is appropriate for them. The story of the one daughter of Jacob. Uh, she, uh, Leah is her mother, and her name is Dinah, and it is one of the most terrible, most tragic stories in all of Scripture. And what we see is that uh, she is assaulted, and to get as, as an act of vengeance on what has happened to their sister, Simeon and Levi actually go and deceive these men and actually commit murder, and they, they kill several people. But in the act of doing so, it's not just that they killed a lot of people, and they did, and that was brutal, and that might have been enough in itself to disqualify them from receiving this blessing, but in addition to that, they also defiled the sign of the covenant that God had established between himself and his people. And, uh, and so in doing so, instead of using it as the sign of the covenant that it was supposed to be, actually used it as an opportunity to gain a tactical advantage over their enemies. So they were disqualified as well. Let's see what, what Jacob had to say to those sons as we continue to look. Genesis 49, verses five and six. It says, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. So the glory that Jacob possesses is just the glory that God has given him. It's that special blessing 
that he's able to bestow upon one of his sons. And he says, this glory, it is not gonna be joined to you. It will not be a part of your company for in your anger or in their anger, they killed men. So these first three were just, as we start back with the oldest, we saw one was different and that was Joseph. Then we go back to the beginning, the, the, the four oldest, those first three are disqualified. And so then we land on one who was distinguished. One was distinguished. And the guy who's distinguished, the guy who actually receives this special blessing is a guy that we've talked about very briefly. I think it was in week two. It is the son named Judah. So Judah, as we, uh, as Diana read for us earlier, I just wanna to point to one verse out of that passage that she read, Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Last week, when God spoke directly to Jacob, now named Israel, he made him a promise, and he said, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, and from you are gonna, nations will come from you, and he even said, a line of kings will come out of you. Well, now, one of his sons, Judah, is being told that the scepter will not depart from you. The ruler's staff will never come out from between your feet. You are going to receive tribute and all the peoples are going to be obedient to you. So it is Judah who receives this special blessing, this promise of royalty, this line of kings are going to extend from you and this everlasting monarchy is going, one, there's gonna be one who is going to reign for all time that comes from this line, this particular family, from the line of Judah. We know where this is going. We know that this gets us to Jesus, but before we talk about that, I wanna ask, all right, well, what is it that makes Judah so special? What is it that makes Judah worthy of being the one to be distinguished? And by the way, we said that there was one that was different. Joseph was set apart, but distinguished means a little bit more than that. It's not that he was set apart. This is royalty is coming from him. He's not set apart, he's set above. So what is it that makes Judah so special? Was he without sin? Absolutely not. He actually committed terrible sins just like his three older brothers did. Again, another story that parents you might wanna check out first, but uh, Genesis 38 tells us the story of some sin that he commits, and it is at least as bad as what Reuben did, if not worse. It is another sin of a sexual nature, and so he has committed sin just like Reuben did. Why is it that, that Reuben is disqualified, but Judah is not? Well, if we read that story and you look closely at how that story plays out, there's actually a part at the end where Judah confesses his sin and acknowledges that he did wrong. We don't see that with any of the other three brothers. They commit their sin and it almost as if, I don't know that it ever says that they're proud of what they've done, but we see no evidence that they had acknowledged their sin, confessed their sin, or repent from their sin. But we do see indications of that in the life of Judah. And what we know, as we see played out all through scripture and that we preach this message over and over again to our people week after week after week, that for those who are willing 
to confess and to repent, there's grace and mercy to be found in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Judah acknowledged his sin. And then there's even a much better story in Genesis 44 where Judah steps up in a really big way. So I talked about the, the life of Joseph earlier, about how he had uh, gotten this, this prominent stature as ruler over Egypt, just underneath Pharaoh, and he's, he's ruling over Egypt. And because of God's favor in his life, he had actually prepared Egypt for a famine that was striking all the land. And so here's Joseph in Egypt, and life is really good, and he is, they've got plenty of food, and everything is going great for them, but everybody else is suffering. And so back home, Jacob and his other sons don't have any food. So Jacob, keeps, he keeps his youngest son, Benjamin, with him, but he sends the other 10 brothers to Egypt and say, hey, go get some help from Egypt. And so they appear before Joseph. They don't even realize that's their brother Joseph, but they're asking for help, asking for, for food, something to, to a thir- like just assistance in this situation. And he realizes who they are. And so he's, he's asking them questions. And so there's a lot of back and forth. But the way this actually plays out is he wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin. Jacob doesn't want that to happen, but he, they, the other brothers go back, convince him, so they bring Benjamin. And then Joseph sort of plays a little trick on them. He's testing them. And so what he does is he, he, takes, he has a silver cup placed in Benjamin's bag, in, like in his knapsack. And so when those brothers are leaving to go, he stops them and says, someone has stolen from Pharaoh We're gonna look in everybody's luggage and see who it was. And then finally they find that there is a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And so so Joseph, who they just know him as this this like big time Egyptian official is saying, all right, you stole from Pharaoh. The punishment is death. Benjamin has to stay here and be my prisoner. Well, those brothers, Judah especially, knows that if they go back home to Jacob, and Benjamin is not with them, and he's going to die of grief. And so Judah steps up. He explains the situation. He doesn't realize that it's Joseph. He tells Joseph, we can't do this. We can't leave Benjamin here. Take me instead. Judah ransoms his own life for the sake of one who has a death sentence hanging over his head. And so again, this points us to the one who is going to come from the line of Judah, Jesus. Because each one of us has a death sentence hanging over our heads. We didn't, somebody didn't just stick a silver cup in our knapsack to turn it, make us into like to be accused as the criminals. No, we actually have all broken the law. We are all sinners and we all deserve the punishment of death. We all deserve the punishment of eternal separation from God. But the one who came from the line of Judah, Jesus, the son of God, said, Father, don't put their wrath, don't put your wrath on them, put it on me instead. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so Judah points us to Jesus because he was willing to give his own life up for the sake of someone else. 
this really ties in good with what we've been learning from Chad on Sunday mornings. Let's point to the, some scripture that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago. Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. So he's called the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's interesting to me if you look back at the text in Genesis 49, and it's actually talking to Judah. It says that Judah is a lion's cub. The actual lion is gonna be Jesus who comes from the line of Judah. But we remember that this, this lion, what he actually sees is a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus gave his life for us just as Judah was willing to give his life for his brother Benjamin. So this, this act, this, this sacrifice that Judah is willing to make it points us to Jesus, and because of that, he is the one who is distinguished above his other brothers. He is the one that it is predicted of, that there is this scepter will not depart from him. This ruler's staff will not uh, be taken from between his feet. He will continue to rule on because it is the line of Judah that rules for all eternity because Jesus Christ sits on the throne forever and ever. So that is the descendants of Jacob. Those are his brothers. That is the birthright. That is the special blessing being bestowed on his son Judah. And then it continues to go on for all eternity in Jesus. He is the one. He is the way that all nations are blessed through this one nation that began as this one family. It is because of the work that Jesus does on the cross, offering salvation to all of us. And so that leads us now to the death of Jacob. Those, the descendants of Jacob, but now we move to the, the death of Jacob. Let me read verses 28 through the end of this chapter. It said, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to, to them as he blessed them, blessing each within the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field. And this is one of those places where you just have to kind of forgive me for some of these crazy names are about to cover here. In the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. So we see Jacob breathe his last. We see him pass away. So what do we learn from his death? Well, right before he died, he had just a few parting words, some things that we, we want to, to see here. And so first is the establishment of God's people. The establishments of God's people. Let's look at uh, verse 28. The first thing that it says, it says, all these, referring to the 12 sons, the sons that just received these blessings from their father Jacob, but it doesn't refer to them as sons anymore. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. 
This is what their father said as he blessed them. So this is now, they're not just sons anymore. They are 12 tribes. And these tribes are going to make a nation. And so we've said it over and over again that this is the story of a family that becomes a nation. And then through that nation, all the nations of the world are blessed. And so this nation, Israel, the nation that bears the name of uh, their father, Jacob, the new name that he received from the Lord. As we move forward, this is going to be not just the story of this family, it's gonna be the story of this nation and how they continue to struggle with God, but how there is one who comes from this family, comes from this nation, who is a blessing to all nations as we are told, commanded to go out to those nations to declare the gospel that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, there's, that's the establishment of God's people. We also have the fulfillment of God's promise. The fulfillment of God's promise. So there was a promise that was made to Jacob that he is gonna become a great nation and uh, there's gonna be royalty coming. And so we've seen the fulfillment of that. But there's, there's also uh, this, this promise that the God has made to us that there is forgiveness to be found in Jesus Christ. And that if we do repent of our sins, as we saw Judah do, if we do confess our sins, acknowledge our sins, if we are willing to, to repent from those sins, and if we are willing to confess Christ as our Lord and our Savior, then we have a different promise. Not that we're gonna be made into a great nation. No, it's a much better promise. It's a promise that we're gonna spend eternity in heaven. And so I wanna point something out to you in verses 29 and 30. 49, uh, 29 and 30, it says, this is kind of the last thing that Jacob is saying. It says, he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan. Canaan is what we refer to as the promised land. It's, it's so he told Abraham that I'm gonna make you into a great nation and he promised that he was gonna give him some land. And so this land, this, that this land that they are going to inherit, this land that they are going to possess, this has always been attached to this covenant that they've made, that God has made with them, with this family. And so it's interesting that at the end of his life, he still has his eyes fixed on this promised land. Like right now in verse 20, in chapter 49, he's living in Egypt. Remember, he had been living in this real small plot of land in Canaan. They, they did not possess the land of Canaan. They did not have ownership over it, but they had been living over in there amongst a bunch of other people. And, but life gets really hard over there and so they have to leave and they have to flee to Egypt. And so he's got his favorite son is ruling over like the greatest nation in existence in the, at the time. And so life is really good for Jacob and his family here in Egypt. And you might think, all right, well, let's just set up shop here. Let's just stick right here where everything is real prosperous for us and everything's really going great. 
and I can just be buried here along with all these other famous people, like the pharaohs and all these other folks. That's not what he does. He says, God has promised us this land. And so things might be going good right now in the present, but what God's got planned for us in the future is much better. And so my eyes are fixed on the future. I want to be buried in the land that God has promised us. And brothers and sisters, we too need to have our eyes fixed on the future. Because God has a promise for us. And, and I don't know what life looks like for you right now. Maybe you're walking through some intense pain and hardship. Maybe there are definite struggles in your life. Maybe things are going really good. Maybe things are going good at home and, and things are working out really well to, at, at your job or at school. Maybe life is really enjoyable for you in this moment. In either situation, it is real easy for us to become too fixed on the present. Either thinking, oh, I gotta get past this, I gotta get beyond this, or maybe I wanna make this last, this, these good times right here, and now I wanna make these last for as long as they can. And both of those are a tragic mistake. We don't want to focus on the here and now. We wanna be like Jacob who had his eyes fixed on the future, the promise of what God has in store for us down the road. You see, there's gonna come a time when this world as we know it is no longer going to be here. The world will be here, but not as we know it. It'll be made new. Our bodies will be, be made new and we will be completely restored back to the way God intended all of this to be. As we continue to think about what, uh, what Chad has been teaching us on Sunday mornings, there will be a time when we are, there'll be a great multitude gathered around the throne of God, looking to, towards the end of Revelation that we haven't gotten there yet, but there will be a time when, when God will wipe away the tears from our eyes and there will be no more sickness and there will be no more death. And we will be rejoicing in the great promise that God has for us. That promise will be fulfilled. And scripture tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. So as we think about how we should respond tonight, maybe there are people here tonight who need to Realize the greatness and the goodness of that promise. Maybe you're not sure about where you stand in relationship to, to God and his justice and his wrath or his grace and his mercy. And so maybe you need to come have a conversation with somebody over in our decision counseling room. Know that they would be excited to talk to you and to tell you all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you are struggling right now, or maybe we don't have our eyes fixed on where it needs to be, the good promise that God has uh, in store for us. Maybe we just need to spend time praying. Maybe we come to this altar and, and just cast our cares and concerns upon the Lord, or maybe we stand to our feet and we shout praise to the God who is worthy of it. As we finish up the story of Jacob, and we've talked some about the story of Joseph, and we've talked about the story of Judah, all of those are good stories, but none of them have any eternal value. The only value they have is that they point us to the story of Jesus. And in the story of Jesus, we can find 
eternity in the presence of a holy and loving God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you and we give you all the glory. Lord, we thank you for your divine plan that so many years ago you chose a man and you made a promise to him that you would make him into a great nation. And we've seen how that, that, that blessing, that promise was passed down from generation to generation, even to Jacob that we've been spending all this time talking about, God. And we know that uh, there are so many things where, where he failed or, or there were times when there was just some, some disturbing things that happened in the story of him and his children, God. But if we're honest, there are disturbing things that have happened in our lives that we have done. God, in the same way that grace and mercy was available for, for them and for their family, there's grace and mercy available for all of us here today. And it is found in the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. God, may we run to the cross. May we, uh, may we confess our sins before you and may we just rest in your goodness and your grace. Lord, we praise you for all of these things and it is in the name of your son, Jesus, we voice this prayer. Amen.